welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. In this episode, we're featuring an interview that, that I did with Ian Golding, um, who's a, an expert, or well, actually he, he prefers not, he doesn't prefer the term expert, a specialist, specialist in specialist, customer experience. Like to be referred to. Um, and someone we've known for an awfully long time, actually, at TLF. Um, so Greg, I think you, you probably knew Ian a, a bit longer than me. Yeah, yeah. He spoke at a couple of our client conferences, pre him becoming a specialist um, or an independent specialist, when he worked for a couple of um, large retail companies and yeah he was a really popular and engaging speaker because he's he was one or is one of these few people that can combine the theory with the real world mm. um so i'm i'm sure you'll have an exciting an exciting interview with him yeah and there's no doubting his his passion or his belief um and he's very articulate as well so yeah let's uh, let's see what he has to say So I'm here with, with Ian Golding, a customer experience expert and author, speaker, blogger, conference host, uh, and sort of all-round customer experience guru. To begin with, Ian, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of what led you into the world of customer experience and, and you know, what, what your history has been? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. It's lovely to, to join you today. And uh, for me to give you a very, very quick summary of what got me into this, I think in all honesty, I was born this way. Um, is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I started my career actually in process improvement. I'm a Lean Six Sigma master black belt, as I I know you know, but I I don't tell everyone that. Um, And I spent 17 years working for a variety of corporate organizations, trying to get them to do the right thing for the customer, not realizing in the beginning that actually what I was doing is now something that has become recognized as a science. Um, And for the last seven years, I've worked all over the world with organizations in almost every industry, trying to help them understand what the science is and how to apply it. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of interesting things I wanted to pick up on in that. I think the first one is the idea that you started it in kind of process improvement. Um, And something Mm. I noticed in your book, which we'll talk about later on, is one of the things I think you do really well is bring together the idea of customer experience and and process and systems and you know all of that sort yes. of lean six sigma stuff yes um which i think that they often the sort of design thinking bit and the six sigma bit often feel quite separate and i think you, yes. you're clear that they need to live together uh, do, do you know that they i i have always said from the beginning of time that process and customer journey are inextricably linked uh, i think one of the weaknesses that i've observed not just in, in recent times, but probably over the, the, the last seven years as an independent specialist in this, it is that too many organizations aren't looking at them as one and the same thing. They, they are dealing with them in almost isolation of each other. And, you know, I talk a lot about the, the three layers that deliver all experiences, the three layers being customer journey, process, and technology and right now in most organizations in most industries those three layers are not aligned and you know ultimately that the reason why I suppose many process improvement professionals evolve into customer experience professionals is because ultimately customer experience is all about cause and effect and you know what you're trying to determine when you are looking at a process is 
what is causing the process from not being able to do what you need it to do. And at a slightly higher level, that is what customer experience is. You know, ultimately, TLF are specialists in many things, but ultimately specialists in measuring the effect, um, you know, the effect of everything an organization does. Most of the time, the cause of that effect is down to what an organization is doing um, and what it does every day is delivered through process. So uh, I think it's not complicated, but to a degree, I think that the fact that organizations have radically overcomplicated themselves over the years, maybe there is a subconscious misconception that it, it, this is all far too complicated. So, you, you know, we'll let the process people do what they do and we'll, we'll, you know, talk about the soft, fluffy, ethereal stuff of customer experience. That's one of the things that really frustrates me. And I'm sure it does you as well. Is it people, people like to see processes. It's kind of, this is what we do. This is, you know, this is the stuff. And then there's the icing on the cake of being nice to customers and we'll call that yeah. customer service and it's fluffy. Yes. And they're so bound together. And it, you know, it, it isn't the cake in the icing. It's, how the customer feels, the little stuff affects how they behave, and then that makes your process work or not Absolutely work further, right. further down and, the line. And you know, the, the, this is the, the greatest irony um, because you're absolutely right. I suppose people like us that understand this, it, it is, it's been a frustration from the beginning of our existence trying to do this. Um, but the greatest frustration is that that inability to connect process and customer journey is actually leading to the biggest source of wasted cost in industry today. You know, ultimately, businesses are failing to understand that every time they get something wrong for the customer, it costs money. Um, and, you know, to correct it costs money. And if they can just eliminate those errors, the mistakes they make in leaving customers feeling the way they don't want to feel, they'll save a fortune. And so we're not talking soft, fluffy stuff. We're talking hard, cold numbers. But, you know, ultimately, it, it takes leadership to have a knowledge of this, to have an understanding of this for the science that we're describing to be applied. It does. You've got to make those connections and you've got to, I suppose you've got to have the data as well. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask. Yeah, yeah, but but I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. Data is critical, but also... Uh, an understanding of accountability uh, and, and, and again those two things are connected as well you know part of the problem is that business process management is not a new principle but sadly over the last 10 to 15 years it's gone out the window so you know the the, the challenge is if you want to effectively measure what an organization is doing from the customer perspective you've got to know who is accountable for process and then you've got to get the data to measure it one of the things that that I'm really interested in at the moment, which kind of, well, I I think has a role in sort of joining together that you know that that process, customer journey, and technology, mm -hmm. those three layers, is this idea of kind of systems thinking, um, yes. sort of trying to understand the entire context in which a customer experience is created and and, and how it's created. Uh, yes. What's your kind of perspective on that? There are two ways of me to, me responding to that. One is I do have a concern about new theories stroke methodologies being created and the motivation behind these things being created things such as agile for example 
which I don't think is a methodology at all. It's just a way of driving change quickly, which mm. has actually been around in various guises for decades. Um, you know, I think machine thinking, the, the, my, my biggest concern today is that the world has gone balmy for digital and for the ability to use technology to intention to improve the customer experience, but in reality to save money. Uh, and I think it really systems thinking has become how do we use technology to cut cost rather than how can we really understand the operating model of our organization so we can make lives easier for our own people and be better at meeting the needs and expectations of customers. And as a result, deliver an experience at a lower cost. It's a very different way of thinking, but you know, too many primarily see the evolution of technology as a way to eliminate human interaction. Um, but sadly, human interaction actually is what is most likely to leave customers remembering you for the right reason. I think, yeah, I mean, I totally agree on, on the, the sort of the AI, you know, machine learning side of things. Again, one of the things that really frustrates me is that people go into it not acknowledging what, what, what those tools can do well. So, you know, if I need to reset a password, I don't need to speak to a human being. It's yes. you know, two click two buttons, fine. Automate that, yes. brilliant. But don't try and automate the stuff that's more complicated. It's, so I'm working that's through right. this kind of mythical flowchart with 50 steps in it. That's right. It's this sort of, I think, it, again, intention seems to be right. If I'm being empathetic towards those that, you know, want technology. But the problem is, is that they go to an IT function or an e-commerce function or whoever it is and say, I need this. And the problem is, is that they're not being challenged as to why. Um, you know, what do they need it for? And if I give you a brilliant recent example, um, I was in the US and I had to take a flight with United Airlines from Salt Lake City to Chicago. Now, airlines are, and, the, and, and the, the, the travel industry in general, are very avid adopters of digital technology. But again, why are they doing it is a different question. And, and there is a different answer to it. Um, and when I got to the airport in Salt Lake City, I found the check-in desks, and I'd already checked in online, um, and the check-in desks had these self-service kiosks in front of them. So there was a check-in desk, and each check-in desk had its own self-service kiosk, but behind the check-in desk was a human. So as I approached this check-in desk, I was looking at the human and looking at the self-service terminal, trying to decide which one am I supposed to use? And the human pointed at the self-service terminal. So as a good human being, I started to use this self-service terminal. And it, it wasn't actually particularly intuitive because as you'll know, flying domestically in America, they, they ask you a lot more things than they would at a self-service terminal in Europe. But I get through the whole thing and then it said, thank you, now pass or hand your luggage to the check-in agent. And he will, and the, the check-in agent will put your tag on your luggage. And what was immediately going through my mind is, why have you made me do all of that then? You know, sure, surely if the human is going to attach the tag to my luggage, surely the human, rather than standing there watching me, should just do that for me, because they would probably do it at a fraction of the, the time it took me. And, and so I passed it to this 
this it happened to be a, a, a gentleman and as he was putting the, the luggage tag on i walked away because i thought well that's my job done mm. and he shouted back to me hey come back and uh, he said where are you going and i said well i'm i'm finished aren't i and he said oh no no you now need to take your suitcase and give it to the guys over there <laughs> and I'm like, what what is going on and it was like this parallel universe of you know technology and the, the most remarkable inefficient human process i've ever seen but i think it is a very good example of how the world has gone slightly bonkers with this stuff yeah so it probably looked very efficient on paper but in the real world with actual people <laughs> just, just doesn't work yeah. yeah, absolutely. Do you have a kind of, if, you know, if, if someone asked you what your customer experience philosophy is in a nutshell, you know, how would you summarize it in a, in a sentence or two? My mantra, if you like. So what I will preach if people have the misfortune of being put in front of me is customer journey management. Three mm -hmm. words that I am bashing people around the head with. And, you know, ultimately to become a sustainably customer centric organization, you have got to be able to continuously manage your customer journey, which is a series of never ending interconnected activities, which include knowing who your customers are, knowing what their journey looks like, so you can measure that journey to identify the small number of priorities having the greatest detrimental effect on customer perception and commercial performance. And when you know what those priorities are, then you need to go and fix them. And then you do it all over again and all over again and all over again forever. Um, if I were to tell you traveling around the world, that less than 1% of the organizations and industries I come across have done that. Um, it really is one of the key causes behind customer experience failing to change in many legacy businesses because they're not actually changing anything. It's really interesting that because I'm inclined to agree, actually, that actually doing that, um, I was going to say, well, but actually just, just actually doing it. it is doing so it rare. at all. You know, it's, um, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, you will have clients who have been measuring voc for years but are they driving demonstrable change is a different question altogether you know and the amount of organizations that have mapped their customer journeys once and never done anything with them you know is astonishing and it's like well what are you mapping them for you know, why are you measuring customer experience if you have no intention to do anything with it and this is not down to a lack of desire you know the the people that i talk to the people that i engage with you know, the, the, the customer experience community, this is their challenge. You know, they're desperately trying to drive change. But, you know, it, it's getting leaders to understand that, you know, a, a customer satisfaction score is not an opportunity to massage your ego. Um, you know, that, 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 that is one of the, the greatest challenges of all. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, I wanted to, to talk to you about your book, actually, Customer What, um, which was published last <laughs> yes. year. I don't know, we won't go into huge detail about it today, uh, but, but I did, one of the things I wanted to pick up on it is, is the, all the little pieces of that that you, you go over. So there's the, yes. the bit by bit, really, through the kind of, you know, from strategy to culture to the leadership yes. to journey mapping to measurement to prioritizing and service design and then keeping the momentum going. So, you know, the whole end-to-end -end sort of piece of, of, yes. of that management. 
I might say this a bit a few times. I think my favourite bit in it is that you don't pretend there's one way to do it. it, it yes. you know, the right way to do it depends on your business and um, yes. kind of where you are, who your people are, and all those sorts of things. Could you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And and in fact, I have always preached about the fact that one of the the greatest challenges of customer experience as the profession it's now become is that it is not an exact science. So, you know, I, I introduced it as a science earlier in the podcast, but it is not an exact science. And the ability of a CX professional, the challenge for a CX professional is to be able to interpret whatever scenario we face and adapt the science to best suit that scenario. And you know, ultimately, every organization is completely different. Every customer base is different. Every culture is different. And you know, what we have got to determine is what is the starting point and at what pace is an organization able to transform? Because whatever way we look at it, customer experience as a way of differentiating an organization to drive sustainable growth. 99 times out of 100, an organization was not created to differentiate itself on customer experience. It was, dif it was created to differentiate itself on its products or services. And so we are talking here about transformation, changing the way a business thinks, behaves, and acts. And that is not a quick thing to do. Um, that is something that requires a long-term business strategy, and it requires a lot of patience, courage, and commitment to make it happen. And I will always say that it typically takes between six and eight years for that transformation to happen if, and, and this, is the, this is the problem, because there is a very big if, and the if is if the organization remains stable. And what I mean by stable is that there is no constant change of leadership, no constant change of strategy, no constant restructuring, which are unfortunately three things that tend to happen at least once a year in most organizations around the world. <laughs> so, you know, fundamentally, it's why we have got to be prepared to do whatever it takes, adapt whatever tool technique we can to deal with each situation as it arises and it's one of the reasons why despite you introduced me very kindly as an expert and a guru um, I prefer to be referred to as a specialist mm. because I think people in our industry you know that no expert exists because an expert suggests that we know it all already you know, I think ultimately that the, we can become better specialists the more we continue to experience different situations. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I've made many mistakes doing this, as you will know, and I will continue to make mistakes. But it's from those mistakes that I'm able to become even better as a specialist in helping organizations to understand how to turn this into practical, demonstrable change. Yeah, I think mistakes and experience are kind of synonymous, aren't they, really, for all of us? Absolutely. The second or third time you try something in each uh, in each situation, that that's what you do first time, next time around, isn't it? Absolutely right. I was interested just in that um, segment just then, you, you mentioned yes. the word prof professional, um, in you know, yes. customer experience professional. Uh, and I guess that, that 
you know, links in with the idea of the, the CXPA, which uh, I don't know how well known that is, but, but would you like to just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, the, the CXPA or Customer Experience Professionals Association is something that I have been connected with from its very creation in 2011. At the time, I was still in a permanent role as a head of customer experience. Um, and it was the first time in my career that what I did had a descriptor. You know, people had talked about customer experience, but it was still seen as this sort of mythical mythical thing that was connected to customer service in some way. But there were a few sort of irritating evangelists, people like me, within organizations who would sort of bash people around the head to try and get them to do the right thing for the customer. When Bruce Temkin and Gene Bliss, who were the founders of the CXPA, I, I suppose turned what we do into a real thing, it, it was quite, it was an epiphany for me because, you know, it validated. And I think that the, one of the, the challenges with what we do uh, and what you guys do at TLF is that we're constantly having to try to justify why doing the right thing for the customer is actually good. And, you know, I was made to feel for 17 years as an employee on the inside, like a complete idiot at times. You know, what are you talking about trying to do the right thing for customers? We're here to make money. You know, and, and so for me to realize that actually, firstly, I wasn't the only one that was going through that, um, that there was actually this global community of people that are all trying to do the same thing as me was, was just a, a wonderful, a wonderful thing to happen in my career at that time. And since I was involved from the very beginning, I have been incredibly committed to wanting to develop the profession, to encourage others who also feel like they're pushing water uphill, that they're not alone. There is a global community of people that believe and feel the same way you do and that are going through the same things as you do. And so the CXPA has built a global community, a truly global community, and in launching the world's first professional qualification in customer experience, CCXP, or Certified Customer Experience Professional, you know, we now have the ability to demonstrate the science that we're not just irritating people that want to do the right thing for customers, but that we do have a genuine bona fide specialism that is made up of six defined competencies and to become a CCXP is is difficult because we've got to have been there and done it but you know right now we are still you know despite the fact we're in 2019 the professional qualification was launched in 2014 we are still at around a thousand CCXPs globally which is not even scratching the surface so you know customer experience has been talked about for a long time but there is a very, very long way to go before the science is truly established in industries around the world. I'm intrigued to know that there are there are uh, a thousand globally. Is, is that mainly in the states, or you know what what proportion um, of those are in the, the UK? Uh, I I don't know the exact numbers, but the largest proportion will be in the US. Um, mm -hmm. But I have mentored CCXPs in New Zealand, India, South Africa, Kazakhstan. Um, you know, you would be amazed where it is going. There are vibrant communities in the Netherlands, 
There is a very active community in Ireland. There are CCXPs now um, really developing at pace in Turkey and Greece. Um, and even regions like Central and Eastern Europe are now advancing quite quickly. So, you know, I, I think whilst, again, we are still in the very, very infancy of the profession, it is, it, it, to, to a degree, it is evolving quicker than the CXPA can even cope with it. And, you know, part of the, part of the, the reason for that, actually, just that, and again, I'm quite fortunate because I, I get to work in so many different parts of the world, I think that there are developing economies where the desire to learn is much greater. Mm. Um, and to a degree, I think in the US and Western Europe, to, to a point, there is a, a level of arrogance that we don't see in more developing economies. That arrogance being, we know all of this stuff already. And, you know, I, I'm being blown away by some of the communities that I get to work with who, that, that they just want to learn. They just want to know how, what is this science and we are going to adopt it. And I'm convinced that we will see what, what are traditionally referenced as developing economies overtaking the UK and the US because they're willing to learn and act on what they're learning quicker. Yeah, I guess it's in a way that might be a parallel to the Japanese car industry or something like that, you know, the tail of the 20th century. Yes, yes, I agree. Very good analogy. Thinking about the future then, how do you see the world of customer experience evolving over, you know, let's say the next five or 10 years? Um, it's a very good question, which I'm asked quite a lot because we, we've reached that sort of seven year itch stage. Um, we've gone past that seven year itch stage. I think depending on where you are in the world, we've got to a point where there is a, um, an increase in lethargy is probably the best way for me to describe it. Um, and I think that the problem is that we've had lots of people talking about it, but connected to some of the things that we've discussed around customer journey management, for example, there are organizations who are now challenging whether or not it actually makes a difference. Now, this is despite the continuing, you know, litany of organizations providing thought leaders like me with you know, wonderful opportunities to re remind everyone how customer experience is so important, like Toys R Us, for example. You know, there are a lot of people saying that customer experience is coming to an end. And I, I will vehemently disagree, and I will always disagree, because customer experience actually was always there, and it will always be there. It will never go away. Um, now there is a conscious awareness of it. I think what I am very hopeful of is that we will see an increase in education for experience in the next five years or so. But that increase in education needs to come in established markets. You know, those who think they've been doing it for a, a long time but haven't seen any effect, they need to understand why. And they need to understand that, that, that actually that the, the hot air and the rhetoric doesn't change anything. Um, if they want to transform, they need to understand the, the, the practical things that need to be done and the need to simplify. You know, ultimately, I think simplification, whilst, you know, ironically, it sounds so easy, uh, I think is the hardest thing for organisations to actually get their heads around. 
and they will not transform unless they are able to simplify stop doing things and refocus uh, and so I, i'm very optimistic that the next five to ten years we will see greater advancement but as i say i think that is inevitable in developing sectors and communities and cultures but i think the more established need to really wake up or they will be overtaken i i completely agree and one of the things that i really like about what you've just said is that you haven't mentioned technology once you know you haven't talked about machine learning or big data or embedded voice you've talked about simplifying and being you know focused on Getting the you know, and, it, and if technology is the right way to do that, then brilliant. But actually, it won't necessarily be. And, and you know, at the end of the day, we cannot deliver experiences without people. Mm-hmm. And so to know what technology is going to make the difference, to know how people are going to make the difference, we've got to know what that experience is supposed to be in the first place. One of the things I see a lot of the time with organisations is that historically it was the process that dominated and the people had to fit around the process, even though it didn't help them do their jobs and now it's yes. the technology doing the same thing exactly. we have to work around this technology instead of starting with the people doing a good job supported by exactly. good technology we're, we're in exactly the same way length and you know this is driven partly by technology vendors themselves but but you know that there is going to come a point where it can't happen anymore and you know there are organizations right now investing billions on technology and they don't know what the customer journey looks like and they will force processes into it and customers will get whatever they get. You know, that that, that ultimately is a, a ridiculous approach that will end up costing them billions. But, you know, we, we will continue to see more Toys R Uses fall by the wayside, you know, as, as they continue to disbelieve that doing it the other way around, starting with the journey and working downwards, um, is actually a more effective approach. Absolutely. And if you trust your people, you don't need to have a rule in place for every single conceivable exactly. situation. Yeah, exactly right. You know, this need to combine technical competence with organizational clarity, um, you know, is so important. But as I say, people are almost being forgotten because of the, the, the focus on technology. Um, and in fact, I had a phone call this morning with someone talking about, you know, the need to educate HR directors. It, it isn't just HR directors or the HR community, it's everyone. You know, it, it still is today this need for every organization to recognize that the only way to deliver an experience that you want your customers to have is through good cross-functional collaboration. Everyone working together to deliver the experience together support functions customer facing functions everyone and you know this inability to break down siloed ways of working it's killing organizations and will continue to do so in the future yeah and, and i think my pet hate is the way the way process expands every time something goes wrong we'll put in a process to prevent that happening ever again. That's right. It's a good instinct, right. but the wrong fix. It, it's like That's right. you know, it's the right problem, but it's the wrong solution. Well, it's, I, I call that exceptions becoming normal, you yeah. know, because you, you build in a new process, so you normalize the thing that goes wrong. And again, this comes back to, you know, my process background. You, you know, ultimately, process improvement is about eliminating the things that go wrong. You, you know, and this, this is what isn't happening. You know, we aren't eliminating, we're adding. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that isn't normal. And that's what's costing a fortune. But th- this is why it's important for anyone working in the, the customer experience space or with an interesting customer experience, they need to be able to have that kind of conversation with their leadership, especially finance, so they can understand that actually customer experience isn't, isn't primarily about revenue generation. It's actually about eliminating all of that unnecessary activity that will stop customers from being annoyed in the first place and prevent us from duplicating so much effort. You know, this is as much about saving money as it is about generating revenue. Absolutely. And then when you, when you listen to customers or you, you read the, what they're saying on social media, so often what they're complaining about is I had to get in touch time and time again. Yes. I had to chase them. I yeah. had to pass from pillar to post. All of that, you need to be hearing cost for the Absolutely business right. just as much as, as it's a pain but, for the customer. But it, is, but it isn't. And, you know, and, and again, this is where things like methods like lean, you know, it's seen as a cost reduction methodology, but, but it isn't. You know, lean is a methodology that should help you improve the process to better meet the needs and expectations of the customer. And by doing that, it'll cost you less. This is so much about psychology and mindset. But again, if I hold up my empathetic card towards those running businesses, you know, they are under so much pressure to deliver double digit growth for the shareholders that whilst they might get what we're talking about conceptually, that's not going to help them hit their numbers this week. You know, and, and this is the constant battle that you know you need a leader that is prepared to fight against that that is prepared to say to the shareholders you're going to have to be patient here and there are sadly painfully few transformational leaders that are prepared to do that i think it's very very difficult for particularly for publicly listed companies um, to think long term yeah that's right and and, you know i understand that and i empathize with that position but you know ultimately they are not going to transform unless they can start to, to change that mindset. Okay, well, I think we're, we're getting dangerously into sort of mutual rant territory here, so we should probably start <laughs> wrapping it up. If anyone wants to sort of find out a bit more about you or, or see what you're up to, where, where would they be best to, to look for you? Um, so I, I, I rant a lot <laughs> online. They can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and all the usual um, social media places. Um, I do have my blog on my website, ijgolding.com. It, I'm, I've quietened down on it, it at the moment, primarily because the, the book is, is out there a lot, so I don't want to irritate people. Um, but the best way to sort of follow, follow my progress is to connect with me on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate uh, you giving us the time. Uh, and yeah, no, thank you for giving time. us your, your well, allowing us both to have a, a, a little vent. <laughs> It's always lovely to to talk to anyone about customer experience, but especially you, Stephen. Thank you very much. As expected, yourself and um, Ian will have got on very well there, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's always easy to talk to. Always, he always has stories, which I think is one of the things that audiences like about Ian. Well, it brings things it brings things to to life and. I don't think it got into the mutual ranting um, bit at, at the end, but it, it's. It's often a good way of 
giving examples where, 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 where sort of things haven't worked. Just like to pick up on a, on a couple of interesting points that I think yourself and, uh, and Ian covered off um, and where you're really in, in total agreement, particularly the whole thing, customer experience. We all think it's about generating pounds, but you and him were putting a very strong argument. It has another one. It's about saving mm-hmm. cost pounds. It's, it's, it's a very double-edged sword. Yeah, it, it absolutely does address both sides of, of that kind of profit equation, I think. And I think just practically, it's often easier to show the impact on cost than it is to show the impact on, on sort of profitability or, or on, on sales, let's say, because the impact on cost is more immediate. And it's, I think one of the traps in business in general is costs are very visible and very immediate on the bo- you know, bottom line impact. Yeah. Whereas increased revenues, it's, oh, you know, is it because of advertising? Is it because of reputation? Is it because it's a lot harder to pin down this increased revenue is precisely because of an improvement to customer attitudes. So why haven't organisations latched onto this more? Is it that the costs you're talking about are invisible costs? Well, they don't feel invisible to me. If we talk about things like avoidable contact, you know, it's very visible. It's, it's on the agenda for you know, everyone who works in a contact centre that, that I know. I mean, to me, it just feels like a no-brainer that, you know, it's, it's in the definition, isn't it? Avoidable costs. <laughs> we, we could have avoided this. Absolutely. Um, and I suppose maybe the grey area is, was this avoid, avoidable? Are, are we seeing it as our fault that the customer is phoning in again? Right. Yeah, I think it's probably the definition round around that. I thought one of the things I really liked was the, the way the two of you pulled together customer satisfaction and process and customer journey mapping, all of which, um, Ian used the phrase, silos, which would be, they are indeed their own topics and would be positioned as silos by a lot of people, but they're not. They're very, very close bedfellows and there's so much overlap. And I thought you and him did an excellent job of sort of pulling that those things together. I really liked his, his, his kind of, he talked about the three layers, didn't he? He did, um, yeah. You know, the customer journey, the process and the technology. technology yeah. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's nuances you could, you could add around that, but I, I think basically that's a good way of thinking about it. One of, the, one of the tools I really like, and I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, is the service blueprint. Yeah. And the reason I like that is because it, it, it stitches together the customer journey layer and the process layer. I guess it might be an interesting challenge to wonder, can, you know, can we get the technology layer in there as well somehow on a, on a visual? But yeah, it, it, the idea of trying to, to look at the way those layers connect up, I think it's a really, you know, for us as, as customer research practitioners, I think one of our challenges is if we just do the customer journey layer, it sometimes doesn't feel very helpful for clients. Yeah. Uh, if we can connect it up to the process layer, then it it becomes a lot easier to, to action. And I think the way in which technology was interweaved in that third layer, um, again, not as a silo, but, but how it fits in with the other two, um, and particularly sort of your and Ian's view of the future, made an awful lot of sense. It did make an awful lot of, mm-hmm. um, an awful lot of sense. I think one of the other things, just uh, I, I wouldn't... Um, quickly mind your view on and it probably links back to our top 10 and the first one of our top 10 leadership you know patience courage commitment could take six to eight years 
to do this sort of thing. A lot of what he was talking about was leaders, vision, culture. Everything comes from the top, doesn't it? Um, and as, as he, as, as Ian mentioned, you know, this will require transformational change for a lot of organisations, and that that's going to take a certain amount of investment, but but more to the point, a lot of hard work from a lot of people, and that that means it's got to be driven from from the very top of the organisation in most cases. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you plan to do some more of these? Yeah, we're hoping to. Yeah, so we, so we've got uh, got one kind of um, in the bag already. So I, I've spoken to Chris Daffy. Right. Oh, that'd be um, interesting. Which, uh, which I had a really nice chat with Chris. Actually, he's a, a lovely chap, and as you know, has been in the world of customer service for for, for many years anyway, and, and certainly knows his stuff. Really nice guy to talk to, and, and loads of interesting thoughts. Uh, and we're hoping to get some more uh, booked in as well. So yeah, it's definitely talking to to people who are specialists in the field um, that we can all learn from is is definitely a good way for us to go. I think. And to you, sort of guys out there, if this is something you'd like us to do more of in terms of talking to experts or clients or sort of practical examples, um, please just please just let us know. You know it's something we guys enjoy doing anyway, and if it's something you found useful, that's even better. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us. If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. Uh, and if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter, at TLF Research, or at tlfresearch.com. Thank you very much for that, Stephen. Um, we will be back next month with another chapter from Customer Satisfaction. Thanks, Greg.